Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of encephalitis found under the neurology section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 46-year-old male is brought to the emergency department by his wife due to a seizure event. She reports that prior to the event, he complained of headache, fever, and nausea. She also reports her husband appeared confused. On exam, the patient cannot clearly answer questions. A CT of the head shows no evidence of hemorrhage or a space-occupying lesion. An MRI of the brain demonstrates inflammation of the temporal lobe. A lumbar puncture is performed, and cerebral spinal fluid analysis shows a normal opening pressure, a lymphocytic pleocytosis, normal glucose, and elevated protein. PCR is positive for herpes simplex virus 1. Let's continue with an introduction to encephalitis. It is defined as brain parenchymal infection, and remember that abnormalities in brain functioning are expected. These can include altered mental status, changes in personality, problems with speech and movement, and remember that this distinguishes encephalitis from meningitis. Also remember that it is typically caused by an infection, with most cases being caused by viral infections, such as herpes simplex virus, or HSV, which is the most common cause, but it can also include varicella virus, or VZV, Epstein-Barr virus, or EBV, as well as measles, mumps, rubella, HIV, Japanese encephalitis virus, St. Louis virus, and West Nile virus. Bacterial causes may include toxoplasmosis, and non-infectious causes may include acute disseminated encephalitis. Also remember that there can be both an infection of the brain parenchyma and the meninges. This would lead to meningoencephalitis. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms may include seizures, fever, headache, nausea, and vomiting. And on physical exam, one may note altered mental status, personality changes, focal neurological deficits such as cranial nerve palsies or hemiparesis, as well as meningismus, but remember that this will not be present in pure encephalitis. With regards to other evaluation, remember that CT scan of the head is performed first, and it helps to rule out space-occupying lesions, but remember that a normal CT does not rule out encephalitis. Also remember that MRI is the preferred imaging modality for HSV encephalitis. One may also perform a lumbar puncture, which is usually done after head imaging. And remember that CSF analysis can be used to determine the etiology. In cases of HSV, one will note an increased white blood cell, mostly lymphocytes, increased red blood cells, which may appear as a grossly bloody tap, increased protein, but a normal glucose. Other studies that may be performed on the CSF include PCR, which is the most accurate for herpes encephalitis, as well as culture and gram stain. A brain biopsy may also be performed, but this is done as a last resort and only if the etiology is unknown. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about intracranial malignancy, which may be primary or metastatic. Also think about medication side effects perineoplastic or autoimmune diseases, such as anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis, as well as amoebic meningoencephalitis, which may be caused by Negleria fowleri and will demonstrate amoeba on CSF analysis. With regards to treatment, supportive options include assessing the airway, breathing, and circulation, initiating seizure precautions, and managing fever and pain. Further treatment is then dependent on the etiology. For HSV encephalitis, make sure to initiate a cyclovir immediately. If the patient has renal impairment, you must give IV fluids to prevent crystalline nephropathy. You can also consider this treatment with VZV encephalitis. 
and remember that initiating a cyclovir immediately is associated with a reduction in morbidity and mortality, and Fosgarnet may be used in acyclovir-resistant herpes. Also make sure to perform serial monitoring of intracranial pressure. And lastly, in terms of prognosis, remember that there is a 50 to 75% mortality in untreated HSV encephalitis. And also remember that being less than one year old, over 55 years old, or being immunocompromised is associated with poorer outcomes. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to encephalitis, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 62-year-old man presents to the emergency department with confusion. The patient is brought in by his wife, stating that he has seemed more ill and confused over the past several days. The patient has a past medical history of diabetes, obesity, and hypertension. His temperature is 103 degrees Fahrenheit, or 39.4 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 159 over 99. Pulse is 110 beats per minute. Respirations are 19 breaths per minute and oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. Physical exam is notable for a confused man with dry skin. Cardiopulmonary exam is notable for a regular and rapid rate. Neurological exam is notable for a confused man with a negative Koenig sign, Brzezinski sign, and jolt accentuation of headache. His gait is unremarkable, and his strength is 5 out of 5 in the upper and lower extremities. An initial chest radiograph and UA are unremarkable. Laboratory values are notable only for a mild leukocytosis. An MRI of the head demonstrates inflammation in the temporal lobe. Which of the following would be seen in the lumbar puncture? And the answer choices are, choice one, increased cell count with mostly lymphocytes, increased protein, and normal glucose. Choice two, increased cell count with mostly lymphocytes, increased protein, decreased glucose. Choice three, Increased cell count with mostly neutrophils. Increased protein. Decreased glucose. Choice four. Increased cell count with mostly red blood cells. Normal protein. Normal glucose. Or choice five. Normal cell count. Increased protein. Normal glucose. The best answer to this question is choice one. Increased cell count with mostly lymphocytes increased protein, and normal glucose. This patient is presenting with a fever, confusion, and MRI demonstrating edema in the temporal lobe, which is concerning for herpes simplex virus encephalitis. HSV encephalitis on lumbar puncture presents with an elevated lymphocyte count, an elevated protein, and a normal glucose. HSV encephalitis is a high mortality disease that can present with vague symptoms, including fever and altered mental status. In meningoencephalitis, Patients may have meningeal irritation as well. Any patient suspected of having encephalitis should have a lumbar puncture and polymerase chain reaction performed, as well as culture for bacterial etiologies, in order to confirm the diagnosis of HSV encephalitis. The initial lumbar puncture findings of HSV encephalitis include an increased red blood cell count, an increased cell count that is predominantly lymphocytes, an increased protein, and a normal glucose. Prior to confirming the diagnosis of HSV encephalitis, patients should be started on acyclovir as this is a high mortality condition. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice two, increased lymphocytes, increased protein, and a low glucose would be seen in a fungal meningitis or tuberculosis, 
which would present with the classic symptoms of meningitis and would be treated with an antifungal agent, such as amphotericin B and 5-flucytosine, followed by fluconazole if cryptococcal meningitis is occurring in an HIV patient, or rifampin, isoniazid, pyrazinamide, and ethambutyl for tuberculosis. Choice 3. Increased neutrophils, increased protein, and decreased glucose corresponds to bacterial meningitis, which is typically empirically treated with vancomycin and ceftriaxone until the culture confirms the agent and sensitivity. Choice 4. Increased red blood cells, normal protein, and normal glucose would be seen in a subarachnoid hemorrhage, which presents with a severe sudden thunderclap headache and meningeal signs. Though the red blood cell count would be elevated in HSV encephalitis, the predominant cell type is lymphocytes, and the protein would also be elevated. Choice 5. Normal cell count, increased protein, and normal glucose would be seen in an inflammatory condition, such as Guillain-Barre syndrome, which presents with an ascending flaccid paralysis, typically after a viral or bacterial infection, most commonly following Campylobacter jejuni. Treatment is IVIG or plasmapheresis and intubation if the patient cannot ventilate and oxygenate. Finally, a bullet summary. HSV encephalitis presents on lumbar puncture with a normal glucose, elevated protein, and an elevated cell count with a lymphocytosis and an increased RBC count. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 65-year-old man presents to the emergency department with confusion and chest pain. He states his symptoms started after he landed on a return flight from Brazil. Since then, the patient states that he feels anxious, short of breath, and has pleuritic chest pain. The patient has a past medical history of diabetes and chronic kidney disease. His medications include insulin, lisinopril, aspirin, and atorvastatin. His temperature is 101 degrees Fahrenheit, or 38.3 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 154 over 94. Pulse is 90 beats per minute. Respirations are 17 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 96% on room air. Physical exam is notable for a confused man. The patient's laboratory studies are ordered and demonstrate a serum sodium of 140, chloride of 103, potassium of 5.3, bicarbonate of 25, BUN of 33, glucose of 168, creatinine of 1.8, calcium of 10, and a troponin of less than 0.05. A chest CT angiogram, an echocardiogram, and a second troponin are ordered and are all unremarkable. The patient's chest pain resolves with diazepam. A lumbar puncture is performed, and based on the results, the patient is subsequently started on a cyclovir. Which of the following is the best next step in management? And the answer choices are, choice one, bolus of IV fluids. Choice two, calcium gluconate. Choice three, cardiac catheterization. Choice four, hemodialysis. Or choice five, no further interventions are needed. The best answer to this question is, choice one, bolus of IV fluids. This patient is presenting with a history of renal disease, administration of a contrast load with a CT angiogram, and concern for HSV encephalitis warranting administration of acyclovir. In the setting of his recent contrast load and acute kidney injury or possible chronic dysfunction as revealed by the elevated creatinine, aggressive IV fluid administration is needed to avoid side effects of acyclovir nephrotoxicity. Acyclovir is an antiviral agent that is commonly given to treat HSV infections including dermatologic lesions, such as painful vesicles or CNS infections, 
in cases of HSV encephalitis, which presents with a fever and altered mental status. A possible side effect of acyclovir administration is crystalline nephropathy, since acyclovir is excreted in the urine. The best initial step in management when giving patients acyclovir with renal impairment, either in the setting of chronic kidney disease, in acute kidney injury, or after an IV contrast load, is to begin aggressive IV hydration prior to administration of acyclovir in order to avoid this complication. Healthy patients given acyclovir need to only remain well hydrated. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice two, calcium gluconate would be indicated for a patient with hyperkalemia who also has ECG changes. After it has been given to stabilize cardiac membranes, insulin, dextrose, beta-2 agonists, and sodium polystyrene can be given. Choice three, cardiac catheterization would not be indicated at this time given the normal ECG and two sets of troponins. It would be indicated if the patient was presenting with a STEMI or if the presentation of chest pain and risk factors were so concerning that the pretest possibility of finding obstruction was worth intervening upon and warranted intervention regardless. Choice four, hemodialysis may be indicated if this patient's renal function does not recover. Indications for dialysis can be remembered with the mnemonic AEIOU. This stands for acidemia, electrolyte abnormalities, with potassium being a common electrolyte, intoxication, overload of fluid, and uremia. Choice five, no further interventions needed would be appropriate if this patient had a normal kidney function and no other derangements. It would be inappropriate to give this patient acyclovir without any other measures, especially since he may have acute on chronic kidney injury after a contrast load. Finally, a bullet summary. Crystalline nephropathy is a side effect of acyclovir in patients with impaired renal function and should be treated with aggressive IV fluids. That's all for this review about encephalitis. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.